Uh, good morning, friends. How are we doing this morning? Okay, come on. We can do better than that. How are we doing this morning? All right. It is good to be with you this morning, and we're going to continue to work through the book of Acts together in this uh, series called Resurgence. And we've been um, looking at um, how the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out and what that looked like, the dynamic experience that the people had as the Holy Spirit came and was experienced. And so we're going to get to dive into that together. Today we're looking at the rhythm of our story and what, um, what that looked like for them back, uh, back in the early church of experiencing um, God and the rhythm that that played out in their life. And so this morning, um, we want to start with the fact that we all have a rhythm to our life, don't we? We all have a rhythm to our life. Our life takes on a certain cadence, a certain practices, certain things that we do that, um, that just kind of help us roll with the way that we live our lives. And if your life looks anything like mine, the, the rhythm of your life might look like this. You wake up, you drink a cup of coffee, you read your Bible, you shower, you drink some coffee, you eat breakfast, you go to work, you drink another cup of coffee, you eat lunch, you drink coffee, you, you do some more work, you drink coffee, you go home, you eat dinner, you rest, and then you drink one more cup of... No, decaf. Are you, guys, are you guys addicted to caffeine? What's wrong with you guys? That, uh, that might look like your life. But we all have a rhythm, don't we, to our lives. In fact, on the, um, the latest update of the iPhone software, iOS 12, they, um, they started this thing called Screen Time. And you can go in and you can analyze, it will analyze what you spent your time looking at. How much time you spent on your phone. I'm a little embarrassed to admit what mine read. But uh, how much time you actually spent on your phone and what you, were, what you were using it for. And it'll break it down by categories like productivity or education or different things like, or games, entertainment. Um, and then it will actually break it down by app. So you can see, um, did I spend more time, was my life more devoted to uh, Candy Crush or the Bible app? Or how much time did I spend on Instagram? And you can start to see what you're devoted to in your life. You see, the things that you're devoted to give you, um, they give you a, the rhythm to your life. And when we start to look at the things that we peel back the layers of our life and we kind of take a, a step back and an objective view of the rhythm of our life, it's really defined by the things that we're devoted to. And so this morning, as we, um, as we dive into this resurgence process of, of um, looking at the past, to take a hold of our future, we're going to look at what that early church was devoted to in the rhythm of their life so that we can see, God, what are you speaking to us today that we need to have a rhythm of life that honors you and, is, and puts you at the priority? And so that's what we're kind of going after today. Now let's, let's set some context so we, we kind of remember uh, where we're headed and, and what we're jumping into here. So in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit had come in power, right? The Holy Spirit had come in power, and the apostles, as they experienced this power of the Holy Spirit, there was tongues of fire, it says, that were over their heads, and they began to speak in tongues, in other languages that they didn't understand. And there were people that were gathered from all of the nations who had come to worship, and so they're, they're hearing this, and they're hearing the apostles speaking in tongues, and all these people from different nations are hearing the praises of God in their own languages. It was incredible. 
No one had ever experienced anything like this. It was incredible. And so Peter gets up and he explains that what you're experiencing was actually, um, is actually part of Scripture that you know. This is what Joel talked about, that, that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and that all people would experience the, what you're experiencing right now. So he says, it's okay, we, you, can, you can press into this. And they did. They pressed into it. And they became what is known as the early church. They, they, they started to form groups as they were transformed by this and gave their lives to it. They formed what we know as the church. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, while they're hearing this and processing this, it says they were cut to the heart and they asked, what should we do? See, they were cut to the heart and then they asked, what should we do? How do we respond? How do we live this out? And so Peter's response to them is repent and be baptized. So repentance is, what's the concept of repentance? Repentance is, I'm going to surrender all of my old living. I'm going to renounce that before the Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to say, it's, I'm done with that. I repent. I'm going to turn away from that. But then what's, or what's baptism? Baptism is an immersion, right? And so he's saying it's a full saturation of, of who God is. So it wasn't just repent and be baptized, like repent and, and follow Jesus. Like uh, it wasn't some flippant thing. It was repent and have your entire life saturated in who God is. And so as they, as they give themselves to this and they try to live this out faithfully of repenting from their old ways or whatever might have marked them, and being saturated by this new reality, it informed the way, new ways they were devoted to, and it informed the rhythms of their life. It played out in practical ways. And that's what we want to look at today, is those ways that it played out in their lives in practical ways. Because it was more than just practices. It, didn't, it wasn't just they, they were immersed in who God was, and so they started to check off the boxes of, this is now how we have to act. That what we see from their practices, from what they were devoted to, was an inward transformation that took place in their hearts. And that's where we're going today. See, the underlying issue is not the practices of our behavior either. For us, it's not just our behavior that God's after. It's a faith that chooses to be rearranged in response to the Holy Spirit and in pursuit of transformation. This is a heart issue. So we're going to actually work through the, um, the, the things that they were their practices and the things they devoted themselves to. But, but you have to understand that the context here is not just that these are the practices that we should be practicing if we're really Christians. No, the heart is these people were radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in response to that, they said, oh God, what does this mean for us? We've got to be transformed. It started in their heart, and it worked out into the rhythms of their life. I don't know about you, but I want God to do that work in me. Are you ready to lean into this this morning? This requires a little bit of participation. You have to posture your heart in a way that you're going to lean into this if we're going to look at transformation. Because practices, we can go through the motions and practices. But if we're going to talk about transformation, your heart has to be engaged here, okay? Let's pray together. Lord God, 
I pray that as we open your word together this morning, you would do a work of softening our hearts to your Holy Spirit. God, in the past few weeks, as we have been working through the book of Acts, you have, you have done profound things among us, and we have experienced your Holy Spirit already together. And now, Lord God, I pray that today you would teach us and inform us and minister to us what that looks like to be lived out into the rhythms of our life. Lord, we know that that can only really tran uh, be transformed in us as we give you our hearts. So, we, Lord, we surrender to you today. We lean into that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, put your seatbelt on and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to jump into this together. We're going to read that. You can follow along. Starting in verse 42, it says this. The early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together... Uh, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. Some, some, a lot going on in there, right? A lot of things that they were up to and that God was doing in their midst. But there's two primary things that they were committed to, two kind of categories that, that this passage gives us. They had a commitment to God, and they had a commitment to each other. And so we're going to look at those for, uh, together. We're going to look both of those. So let's look first at their commitment to God. So their example shows us that a transformed life with God is devoted, the practice is the, is the devotion to the gospel of the kingdom. So verse 42, they, and they were devoted, they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now they were used to teaching, Right? These were, these were Jewish people, so they knew the scriptures. In fact, they had come to, to worship. That's why they were there. Um, but they didn't know anything about Jesus yet. So, but they had come to worship, so they knew scriptures. They were used to teaching, but they had never heard about Jesus. And they, when they heard and they saw a demonstration of his power, they were captivated by it. Absolutely captivated. They had never seen anything like it. And they were hungry to know more. So the apostles' teaching was the teaching of what is the gospel of the kingdom of God. That Jesus had come from God into uh, invaded humanity and that the gospel of heaven had come and was among them. And that he died and rose and left his spirit to empower them, to be with them, and to empower them to be part of his mission. That was radical. That was like no teaching they had ever heard before. It was powerful. And it changed them. There was no part of their lives that was untouched by this reality. As they lived into this and as they, as they believed this, it wasn't just theoretical. They weren't just um, uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching to have more education. Most of them probably had a lot of education. They had probably been educated in the scriptures. But now they're hungry because there's a reality here of God's power at work in miraculous ways that it's being poured out and demonstrated. I've got to know more about this. I've got to give my life to this. What is this all about? And so they devoted themselves to the teachings. 
Now, today, we, we devote ourselves to the teachings of, of Scripture also, don't we? Of the gospel of the kingdom. In fact, we have more access to it now than at any time in history. We get to experience church services. We have podcasts. We have online access. We have freedom of speech and religion, right? We have a lot of opportunity. In fact, in America, we have, have even more opportunity than the rest of the world. And yet, the, stat, the sad statistics are that we still struggle with this. Recently, it was found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read their Bible more than once a week. Over a quarter of Christians in the church in America have not read their Bible at all in the past year. Now, no shade. I'm not trying to shame anybody here today. That is not, that's not what this is about. This is about a heart of being hungry for God. And the practice, the devotion of the early church was that they wanted to have it in them. They were hungry for the teachings of the gospel because it was radical. It had never heard anything like it. I think sometimes we get so accustomed to it. We get inoculated by it. We get just enough of it that, that we're, it doesn't transform us. It keeps us in this limbo of we're familiar with it, but we really don't have to engage it for it to really transform anything. It doesn't have to mess me up as long as, as long as I know about it. That wasn't their heart, man. They were all in. They wanted to know more. And so I have to ask the question of myself today, am I hungry to learn more of who God is? Is that a practice of my life that reflects a transformation in my heart that the Holy Spirit is doing in me? You see, when the Holy Spirit shows up like he did then, and it's real, and it's authentic. It creates a hunger in us that transforms the practices and the rhythms of our lives. So if we look on the other side, flip that around. If we look at the devotion of our lives and, and our rhythms, we ought to see, am I actually being given to transformation? Am I, in, am I welcoming God's transformation power in my life? Our rhythms of our life ought to, ought to uh, demonstrate that. They should sh reveal that. So secondly here, the second thing that we see that the church here was devoted to, it says a transformed life with God is devoted to fellowship. It's devoted to fellowship. So they were devoted themselves to first the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, that's kind of an awkward word, right? Fellowship. We don't really use that word. That's kind of, like a, kind of a churchy word. You wouldn't say like, I'm going to go fellowship with my friends at the movies. No, you go hang out with your friends, right? We, we, it's a kind of an awkward word for us. But Jesus, he was a friend. He, he knew how to fellowship with people because he was a friend to sinners, the Bible says. See, that word fellowship is a one-on-one -on -one friendship. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And so we, we, when we fellowship together, they were devoted to fellowshipping with God. They were devoted to fellowshipping with each other, too, and we'll look at that. But they were devoted to this fellowship, this relationship with God. In Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus says this, The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, Jesus ate with everybody because he wanted to be known that he wanted to be with everybody. See, he didn't pick and choose. He didn't just go to the religi religious leaders. He was a friend of sinners. I'm grateful for that because I count myself among them. He's a friend of me. 
He's my friend. He's one who wants to fellowship with us. And they got that. And they devoted themselves to fellowshipping with God, with, with, with who he was. They welcomed that into their lives. Now, I'm, I'm not the greatest friend sometimes. We, and friendship is sometimes for us can be really surface level because we spread ourselves thin and we get too busy for people, don't we? That happens. In fact, a few weeks ago, I hung out with some friends of mine that were, um, they were my friends in college. And there were six of us, and we did everything together. We went to all of the, um, all of the dances and events and banquets, and we, we hung out. We went to the beach. We did everything together. It was always the six of us. And so we actually earned the label by some people the six-pack, which we really loved because none of us had six-packs. That's the closest I've ever come to a six-pack. So the, uh, so the, but the six of us did everything together. But I haven't seen these guys in 11 years and as we got together and hung out together, we realized how much life has gone by that we were completely out of touch with. And sometimes we, this, is, this marks the friendship, the fellowship that we have with God, that we, we would say, yeah, we, we, God's our friend. Our, our, I fellowship with God, but there's a whole bunch of life that goes by that he's not a part of. And then we come back and we say, oh, yeah, 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 you can be part of this now again. Well, sometimes we're not very good at friendship, and sometimes that connects to how we have fellowship with God. These people, were, these people were dedicated to this. They were devoted to it. How, how does it make you feel when you hang out with your best friend? Don't you feel relaxed? Don't you feel energized? Don't you feel like you have freedom to be yourself? Isn't that nice when you get to hang, hang out and fellowship? With your friends. Now think about the first time that you went to dinner with your in-laws. The, you met them for the first time. How did that make you feel? Were you relaxed? Felt like you could be yourself? Authentic? Probably not. You probably, I mean, my in-laws are here and they're amazing people, so I would have none of these emotions. But you might have felt anxious you might have felt a little nervous, a need to impress, or a need like you've got to put on some kind of front for them to impress them. How do you feel? Which of those mar is closer to the way that you fellowship with God? Do you feel like you've got to come and try to put on something so God will accept you? Or do you just get to be in His presence and enjoy Him? You get to be the full, authentic representation of who who you actually are to him. That's fellowship. That's what it means to fellowship. It's to be real before him in his presence. It's a real relationship. And it says that they devoted themselves to that. They were excited to be with God. They were excited for that. And I have to ask myself, am I hungry to experience the presence of God daily in my life? that I don't have to hide from him because I got some other sin going on over here. I don't have to impress him because I could do certain things in, to impress him, that I can just be with him and I'm hungry to, to be in his presence. Man, that's what they were devoted to. Well, thirdly here, the next thing is that a transformed life with God, they show us that a transformed life with God is devoted to the Lord's Supper. It's communion with him. Now, we received communion uh, this morning together, and uh, well, the way they would have done that practice was, was a lot different. It says that they, 
uh, here in ver uh, verse 42 again, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread would have been their common meals together. They were, they, were living, uh, they were living as a community, and they would eat together, and they would fellowship, and they would worship, and, they would, and part of that time was they would break bread together in communion. They would remember God. And what they were doing was they were making that practice of, of His presence part of their ordinary practice, their ordinary part of their lives. They were inviting His presence into all that they did together as a community and as a people. They wanted his presence to be there. Remember, Jesus had said, do this in remembrance of me. They were remembering him and welcoming his presence back with them. You know, I've, I've referenced Luke chapter 7 where it says he was a friend of sinners, that he ate and drank with them. And in one sense, when he left his spirit and we come and we remember, he's still here eating and drinking with us as we remember him. But now instead of eating and drinking with sinners, he's here, his presence is here as we remember with the redeemed, his people, his community. And the early churches, they were breaking bread together and being together in, in their ordinary uh, practice of their life. They were living that out, a devotion to welcoming their friend, the one they're fellowshipping with, their God, their Savior, into their presence to be always a part of what they were doing. It was an awesome time that they're saying, God, we want to make room for you in even the ordinary, even our common meals together. Lord, you, you, we want your presence to saturate all that we're doing. And I have to ask the question, am I making room for him? Am I making room for him in the ordinary practices of my life? In the ordinary places am I saying, Lord, I want to fellowship with you in a way that brings your presence Lastly here, a transformed life with God is devoted to prayer. And that's the last thing on, that it mentions on that verse 42 here. And volumes, volumes could and have been written on prayer, right? There's, there's a whole bunch of resources out there describing prayer and what that looks like. But the bottom line of prayer is that it's communication. It's us communicating with God and His Spirit communicating with us. Prayer is the way that we commune with Him and have interaction and dialogue with the Savior, with God. So prayer is vital to this. It's vital to relationship. And so they gave themselves to prayer, to these times where they would welcome God's presence in prayer. Now, all of, uh, we have three little kids. Denise and I have a two-year-old, a, th a three-year-old, and a four-year-old. And all of them at one point went through this phase where they knew what we were saying, they understood what was going on, but they lacked the vocabulary and the words to be able to express what they wanted. They couldn't respond. And so the result was they were really frustrated. Now, I'm grateful that Denise has much more patience than I do. And so we're just trying to love these kids and like, what are you trying to say? Like, why are you freaking out? What do you want? We're trying to use our, our kid intuition. Like, what's going on here? Because they're so frustrated and they don't know how to communicate what they want to communicate. Communication is the basis for relationship. Communication with God is vital to who we are. It's vital. 
And this is true in our relationships with people, but it's true in our relationships with God, isn't it? That, that when r- communication is blocked, there's a disconnect that happens. A relationship is cut short. There's a disconnect. This is why marriage counselors will never go without work. Because when there's no communication, there's a disconnect. There's plenty of work out there for them because we struggle with this. Communicating. But they were devoted to communicating with God in prayers. They had, they had said, Lord, we, we want your presence, and we're going to communicate. We're going to pray to you our needs. We're going to welcome you and your presence. God, we're hungry for an ongoing dialogue with you because we want to know you. That's a practice of a transformed life where the Spirit is doing something in your heart, and it plays out in the practice of your, the rhythm of your life. So God's doing something in them. There's a true and genuine hunger. And so what do they do? They want to dialogue with God. They want to have a practice, a rhythm of prayer. I have to ask myself, do I want, am I hungry for that? Is that a hunger of my life right now? Now, this is the fun thing. So verse 42 has these four different practices that they did. And then verse 43, the very next verse, gives us the result of what that transformed life with God uh, resulted in. So look at this. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is amazing. As they knew God, as they were living this rhythm that gave themselves to continuing to be transformed by the Spirit, what happened? They knew God even deeper. They had an awe of who He was. And beyond even understanding more of who God was, it released more power of the Holy Spirit to move in signs and wonders. Now, this was because they had postured their lives in a way to hunger and, say, and invite and say, we want to invite more of the Holy Spirit. We, we want to give our lives to this. They were hungry for this. And the result was that God showed up in power. So there. Example shows us that they were committed to being with God, but, but they also made some radical commitments to each other in how they lived this out. And this is pretty significant because they were a very diverse group, right? This was not just um, a whole bunch of people who thought the same way and did the same thing and looked the same way. This was a diverse group. But transformation doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It happens in a community. It happens as we link arms with other people. And they began to realize that, and so they linked arms with each other, and they said, how are we going to live this out together? Today we might say, oh, I've got that covered. I'm part of Antioch Church. Here we go. We come together. We fellowship together. That five minutes between the service and our car. We, we, we know how to be together. We come and we worship. We open the scriptures together. But, but Luke is not talking, when the writer here, he's not to, talking about church membership. He's describing a devotion to each other that goes deeper than a once-a-week meeting. It goes to the core of how we live our lives together. This is the rhythm of our life, not an isolated practice or a, or a, a list of things that we try to check a box and that we've done it, and, and now we're a, a good Christian. He's talking about devotion to each other. They were a part of a movement, and they realized that they needed each other. And so the way this played out was that their transformed life with people 
was first, it was devoted to unity. That, that diverse group of people that it says was from all different nations, this patchwork of humanity, they found a way to be united. Isn't that amazing? We struggle with that in our world because it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can really experience that uniting of the patchwork of humanity. It says in verse 44, all who believed were together and they had all things in common. Now there's a huge difference between being together and having all things in common, isn't there? If you need an example of that, think of your last Thanksgiving dinner. You were probably together with some of your family. Did you have all things in common? Probably not. Probably not. We have all kinds of different perspectives and, and things that, that, uh, that are values. And there's all these different things that even though you're together, you, you may not have all things in common. But through the spirit of unity, these people came together and they found a way forward as a community. Now, both of these ideas are, are important. They were, first of all, they were together. They lived in community. They took care, they took care of each other. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty radical concept for us because we live in a very individualized society. Our tendency is to cut ourselves off from people. It's to take care of our own interests and, and to get our own little happy slice of the world that we're content with. We're individuals, as if that's a good thing. But they knew that they needed to live in community. They needed each other if they were going to faithfully live out a rhythm of the Spirit transforming them. They had to have each other. Now, we're trying to do this here at Antioch. We're trying to live this out as, as, uh, as a community. We do that in community groups. And that's where we live out what it means to faithfully be shaped by God's presence and challenge each other to live this out, right? That's where, that's where we do this. So, so they were together, but it's significant that they had all things in common as well because this talks about physical things, the resources that they had, but it goes a lot deeper than that. This is what they had in common. They had a common faith. They had a common pursuit. They had a common mission together. Because the Holy Spirit had empowered them for something that he had planned, for a transformed life. So this leads to the second thing. That not only did they have this unity, but a transformed life with people is devoted to generosity. They exhibit this radical generosity. They were sharing, they, were, they took all of their possessions and they were sharing them with those who had need. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is unimaginable to us. <laughs> we have our own home. We have our own expenses. We have our own income. We have our own retirement. We have our own health insurance. We make our own way. And if you can't make your own way, the government will help you. Not your community, the government, right? This is, this is a radical disconnect from the way that they live as community. They said, we need each other. We're on this mission together. We're hungry together. We're going to do everything we can to propel each other towards this life in the Spirit, what God's called us to be. And so it changed their values. It changed their priorities. The stuff didn't matter. It was the mission that mattered, and they were in it together. 
We're seeing this in our community groups. As we live this out in community here at Antioch, we're seeing this. There's people who are letting people uh, who have, uh, who they've lost their place to live, they're inviting them in to live with them. We have community groups that have come alongside people who have lost their jobs, and they're saying, we're going to help pay your mortgage for you because we're on a mission together. We're a community together. Wow, that's radical. And so we're seeing that as we try to live this out faithfully as well. So lastly here, the last practice that we see that demonstrated their desire for this transformed life, the way that they lived this out, was that it says that they, they gathered both publicly and privately. In verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they had three practices, three practices of gathering together. Three. So number one, they met in the Jewish temple. They still went and participated in the Jewish worship at the temple which was both morning and evening. There was sacrifices and there was prayer. And so that was a two, two times a day kind of deal. And then it also says that they gathered in the temple courtyards. So, so they would gather there to hear the teachings of Jesus. They weren't getting that at the Jewish temple. They were hearing the, uh, from the apostles that the apostles' teaching in the courtyards. And then, as we, as we talked about, they were meeting in homes. And they were continuing their fellowship together in homes. Now, when I was in Bible college, I spent a summer in Brazil. And I went and um, I, I stayed with a pastor there. And we went to church. The first week I was there, we went to church every day of the week. And I was like, whew, well, we're going to church again, huh? Okay, wow, here we go. And so finally, like, the, at the end of the week, I asked the pastor, I'm like, how do you do this? And why do you do this? I don't, we don't do this in America. And he said, John, if we don't meet every night of the week, my people will go somewhere else. They'll go to the church down the street. And it wasn't that he was trying to hoard his people. It was that his people were hungry for the things of God. And I was convicted. I was like, wow, I wish it was like that here, that we were so hungry for the things of God that our gathering was a constant part of our lifestyle that we're worshiping together. That's what it looked like for them. Now again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that we need to do more. I'm not trying to put more on us. I'm not talking about the practices that, that we have to check a box. I'm talking about have our hearts been transformed, that this is the kind of hunger that we have for the things of God. Because that's what it looked like to live a transformed life for these people who are experiencing it from the very outset. Now, remember the result of living a transformed life with God. They had awe, and they had signs and wonders. And now, we get the result here of, the, of them living a transformed life with people. In verse 47, it says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord was adding to their number day by day. As they're living this out, the natural outflow of their transformed life was evangelism. It's almost like they didn't have to try. They didn't have to have those four spiritual laws and have a, the, a theology degree, and they didn't have to go knock on doors and, and share, like, you know, here's what you need to know about Jesus. They, as they were devoted to actually just living the transformed life that God called them to, people saw that and said, whoa, that is radically different. 
They're selling their stuff and giving it away. They're devoted to each other. They're experiencing power and signs and wonders. It wasn't something that they, they had to like, oh, I have the gift of evangelism now, so I'll be the one to go out and tell the world. No, they were a community of people that was just trying to be faithful to live out the things that God was doing, and people were mesmerized by it. And day by day, people were saying, I want to be part of that. And it started with their own hunger. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And as we, uh, as we draw to a co- close today, I want to I just focus in on the heart behind this, that you know, we've spent some time to kind of digest the practices that this early church had. But again, we have to underscore the heart, the heart behind this. You see, Peter's sermon at the day of Pentecost was, was that the gospel of the kingdom had come in power And that power completely transformed their hearts and their lives. Both of those. See, as you encounter the Holy Spirit and as you encounter the power of God in your life, it's not enough for Him to just capture your heart with an experience. He wants us to live a transformed life. He wants the Spirit to work in you in a way that it rearranges your life. Luke, the author of Acts, he's not writing us a list of things to do. He's not trying to make us feel guilty or change our behavior. He's inviting us as the readers, as the the hearers, to ask the question, am I living out of faith that chooses to be rearranged by the Holy Spirit? Am I choosing to be in pursuit of real-life transformation? See, this, this passage is, it, again, it's, this is not a call to adjust our religion. It's not even a call to adjust our practices as much as it's an invitation to allow the Holy Spirit to absolutely wreck our lives. <laughs> These people, they, they surrendered to God and it rearranged all of the rhythms of their life. Now, we're, we're, the, we're the body of Christ. We're, we're those who are faithfully trying to follow Him. But I believe that there's still in us some places, maybe it's the influence of sin or maybe it's the influence of society or just, just the busyness of our lives or the, the things that we've got going on. But there's places in our lives that we would want to say, I'll experience you, but I'll have a sacred time over here and a secular time over here. I'll, I'll have my time with God over here, but it doesn't have to invade the rest of my life over here. I can have my agenda and my practices and my lifestyle over here, and I'll come to church once a week, and I'll give God that time, or as is the common practice in the church today, I'll come every 2.4 times a month, and I'll worship God, and that'll be my time that I give to the Lord. God wants us to be hungry for the things of His Spirit because we are the transformed people that are supposed to be living this out in communion with God and in communion with each other so the Holy Spirit can empower not just an experience but our lifestyle, the rhythms of our life to be on gospel mission together. We're those people. And so this morning as we we sing together one last song, I want to invite you 
to just take a posture in your heart that says, God, what does this mean for me? In my life, no matter how good I've tried to be, is there something that I need to surrender? Or maybe it's, is there something that you want to rearrange? The practices of my life, the rhythms of my life, the things that I give my time, my devotion to, do you want to rearrange that in me? Would you stand with me? And if, if you're comfortable, would you even just open your arms in that posture to receive and just say, God, what is it that you want me to surrender? And Lord, is there something that you want to rearrange? Is there something I need to surrender? Is there something you want to rearrange in me? And as we sing this song together, I just invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to soften your heart, that, that where there might be hardness or even stone in our hearts, that it would be softened and break loose and the Holy Spirit would be welcomed to invade and wreck our lives. God, we give you this space. We ask you to come. We pray that you'd reveal to us things that we need to surrender again to you to be your people transformed by your spirit. In Jesus' name, let's sing together.